Thank you, thank you, thank you. You're far too kind for tuning in once again to a little thing we like to call the On Blast Podcast. As always, my name is Sheldon Alexander. I'm joined by my guy, Andrew Webster. Webby, what is good? Man, uh, listen, you can find me in the Space Jam bubble. Just hanging out. (laughs) Um, You teased this a while ago. I thought these were the two best episodes by far that we've seen so far of the doc you're correct but um i do want to also say huge shout to the people that have been rocking with us as we are been as we have been carrying through on this on blast podcast and we've been following the jordan doc this is the review of episodes seven and eight of the last dance doc and huge shout to the people that have been rocking with us on itunes soundcloud spotify youtube liking and subscribing and rating and ranking and sharing with their friends all that fun stuff but i gotta say something right off the bat i can't believe that there's only one more week left of these because in the beginning it seemed like ah 10 episodes this is gonna take so long this is gonna be you know every week and now here we are seven and eight and you mentioned it webby before these were the two best episodes and, and it lived up to the hype, even with the hype going in. I talk about this all the time. Sometimes I'm always worried about when things get hyped up too much that maybe it might not deliver, but boy, did these episodes deliver? No. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, these are the two episodes that you're going to be like, these are the ones that kind of boil down why this uh, 10 episode series has been so good. Because as we're going to get into, it shows you into a part of Jordan that you thought you knew, uh, but there's just so much uh, rich history and the reactions, like it boils down like the reactions with him and the iPad are so good. The stories, Mm -hmm. like I said, that you, you may have heard, you may have read about, but now you're getting them right from Jordan's mouth. And then, of course, like the legend building stuff, like as uh, again, as I'm sure we're going to get into. Um, For now, sure. The, and and sorry, I was going to go say on, go the, the other the other thing is that this is where my leak ended. So I am back oh. on par with everybody else. So I will be there <laughs> on Sunday night with the uh, illegal stream of ESPN <laughs> To uh, get in these episodes. What? I don't before. even know what you're talking about. What, I, what are I you mean, talking about? That's a, we just need to maybe blank that part out. Like give put a little beep in there, like censor it. But uh, but yeah, <laughs> no, I'm gonna hope we hoping to be uh, watching that on uh, on Sunday, like I did with uh, episodes one and two. Because man, I mean, like we're at the point that now this is like obviously must see TV, right? So, yeah, let's get right into it, because I thought, again, best two episodes, but I think the last two minutes or so of episode seven were definitely, like, the best part of this doc, I found anyways, and it was just kind of summing up. That's him getting emotional, right? Where he's... Yeah, it's a part where he's kind of... You know, he's he's encompassing why he's kind of the way he is, because a lot of it... A lot of that episode centered around how he treated his teammates, which we'll get to in a bit. But to me, I thought hearing him explain this, and I'm going to read the quote because I just thought it was so good. But I thought hearing him explain this kind of summed up why we're all here, (laughs) right? Because they're trying to get an insight into the inner workings of Michael Jordan and how, you know, someone achieves that level of success in whatever field. And you know that to get that to that level, it takes a different kind of mindset, but to hear him explain it 
was incredible. So I'm going to read this. So follow me for a second here as I apologize, as, as I do every once in a while on the pod where we do a segment that's just Sheldon reads. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll start here, okay? And Because this is just what I thought was incredible. So we start with the question from the director. And the question is, through the years, do you think that do you think that intensity has come at the expense of being perceived as a nice guy? Jordan's answer, he says, well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, winning has a price and leadership has a price. So I pulled people along when they didn't want to be pulled. I challenged people when they didn't want to be challenged. I earned that right because my teammates came after me. They didn't endure all the things that I endured. Once you join the team, you lived at a certain standard that I played the game, and I wasn't going to take anything less. Now, if that means I had to go in there and get in your ass a little bit, then I did that. You ask all my teammates. One thing about Michael Jordan was he never asked me to do something that he didn't fucking do. Sidebar. Appreciate the swearing. Yeah. For emphasis. Absolutely. And it was real and raw. But yeah, I'll continue. And 100% a boss quote. Like, that part is, that's when you're like, yeah, man. Absolutely. Right at this point, I'm like on the edge of my couch already hype. And then he keeps going. He says, when people see this, they're going to say, quote, well, he wasn't really a nice guy. He may have been a tyrant. Close quote. No, no, that's you because you've never won anything. I wanted to win, but I wanted them to be. I wanted them to win and be a part of that as well. Look. I don't have to do this. I'm only doing this because it is who I am. That's how I played the game. That was my mentality. If you don't want to play that way, don't play that way. And then at that point, he starts to get emotional and he just kind of signals to the camera and he says, break. And it was just great, you know, storytelling where they have like the pregnant pause and then it just cuts and that was the end of the episode and MJ sitting there in tears and it was just like, I'm sitting there thinking, what did I just watch? Like, that was incredible. What was your reaction to that moment of the end of episode seven? Well, just that it was the end of episode seven and not the end of episode 10. Because, like you say, <laughs> that pretty much, well, no, for real, that pretty much encapsulates, like, the message of this documentary. And, again, the reason why we're pretty much, we're so enamored with, like, MJ and, like, the legend of Michael Jordan. Right. And he puts mm -hmm. it so succinctly. Uh, I mean, you couldn't write it any better than that. It, it's incredible. And like, that's the thing. It's the it's the I would never ask my teammates to do anything that I wouldn't put myself through, you know, mm -hmm. like that's just that's just boss. I was, I was talking to Macau earlier and I sent him an email about like just what happened in the episode and I described it as, follow me here, I described this moment as when Drake drops an album and then there's all these quotables and the girls all rush to Instagram to put that in their captions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was me, right? That was me <laughs> when I hear my guy like, winning has a price, leadership has a price. I was just like, holy shit. Like the way that it, it just hit me and you know, it's MJ. We know the allure. We know the six championships. We know all that. But to hear him just explain it all, and after you've seen eight plus hours, or at that point, I guess seven hours, of him explaining and giving context to the six championships, that just made the moment so much more incredible. And, you know, people kind of had a weird reaction to him getting emotional at the end. Like, what, what was your take on that? What did you read into his tears literal tears at the very end 
Yeah, it was uh, it was a little strange because it wouldn't be something that you might think that would bring somebody, especially like Michael Jordan, to tears, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that would be something that you might think would be a, a given with him. Yeah, like like yeah, that's that's part of the situation, man. It's like uh, winning, you pay a price. Leadership, you pay a price. But he he just believes in it so much, and it's so a part of his identity and who he is and what he's done and his, his legacy, to be quite honest, that it, it may seem simple to us or to, you know, people watching at home, like he says, somebody who, who hasn't won anything, but to him in that it was like, uh, his mantra, uh, what he believes in, why he's so successful. So it's just so important to him. That's what I made of it. Do you know what it is? It's like, to me, it was him finally. So think about this, right? Like my guy's been sitting there stirring since his retirement for how long. And you know, obviously the competitor that he is, he's thinking about what his legacy is. Right. And he says, you know, I don't have to do this. I'm assuming he's talking about the doc, right? I'm doing this because this is who I am. And I think like that was his sole purpose in trying to give people a, real life true insight into why he did the things he did you know a realistic view into why you might think he's an asshole right and all these other things that led to him winning championships but overall the thing that i got it i got from it was when he's talking about you know that's you because you've never won anything i wanted to win but I wanted to bring them with me. Like when he's talking about that, to me, it's kind of like, you know, everybody in their life, whatever you do, there's something that you've been working towards. There's goals that you set in your life. And some have bigger goals than others, obviously. And for him, everything that he put into it, I think that's what the emotions were that were coming out. Like him trying to describe, you know, every single high and low and every blood sweat and tears and pardon the cliche i don't mean for it to sound so cheesy but literally everything that he put into achieving these goals and how hard it was and him trying to explain that to someone else while knowing that he probably sounds crazy while doing it do you know what i mean but oh yeah i think that's where the emotion came from and just you know he had to kind of take a break and that's where he says him saying you know that was my mentality if you don't want to play that way don't play that way that's him you know saying i understand i might kind of sound crazy here but that's how i wanted to play and you don't have to do that i'm not saying that i'm right but that's just what worked for me and my dude webby i'll say this much man I know MJ was worried about what his perception would be after people watch this. I like him like 10 million times more after watching this. Again, like that's the thing you, you keep waiting for the part of like, when am I going to start to really think that MJ is an asshole or when am I really going to see him in a light that casts him in a more negative way than I grew up idolizing him and worshiping him. And that just hasn't happened in this documentary so far. If anything, I feel like even as a little kid, I took him for granted. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yo, for sure. And it's so cool too. It's a perfect that you bring that up. Right. Cause I was thinking, you know, obviously as kids, we like Michael Jordan, 
and that's just because we liked sports. He was everywhere. Like it's all in our face, you know, be like Mike is catchy ass song, all those things. <laughs> and then as you get older, there's different reasons why you appreciate, right? Like you appreciate greatness. Like you're, you're drawn to, you know, as some people like to call it genius, right? Someone who's achieved yeah. the highest level of success in their profession. We're attracted to that. We're intrigued by that because we want to know more about it. And now as an adult, as we, you know, wind and weave our way through life, you know, for us, we have like such a different appreciation of it now, getting to see the inner workings and, you know, what pushed someone. And I, I hate saying it because it sounds like the cliches, but the hard work actually paying off. Like the other part that was weird was his trainer, Tim Grover, at one point when what? he was describing MJ being the hardest working guy ever. Like you could see him getting kind of emotional, right? And he's talking about MJ's just like work ethic in the in the training room. So I don't know. I wanted to start here because I thought that was the most like important thing that came out of the episodes. And there yeah. were so many things that came out. But in terms of that, would you agree that that was probably the best part so far of the doc? Well, yeah. And like I say, it's the part that definitely like wraps up who Jordan is, why he was so successful, and why we all idolize him. Yeah, like the whole doc could have definitely ended right there, but, you know, we're glad it didn't because there's still so much more goodness to talk about from these two episodes and also two more episodes coming up this weekend. So we'll get to a little bit more of what happened in the episode and feel free to jump in at any point because we're just going to kind of go through some yeah. of the uh, bigger moments and, and storylines. So... We'll start with the death of MJ's dad and him really going to play baseball. And at that point, 1994, I, I was watching it and thinking, okay, how much of this do I remember yeah. happening at the time? Because I'm, what, 11 at this point? 10, 11 years old? Yeah. And I'm thinking, okay, I remember it a bit, but I definitely did not remember parts of the details. Like, I didn't remember exactly that his dad was missing for three weeks and they found oh, the, yeah. like I didn't remember no, no. That like part. I mean I remember all of this like like mm -hmm. this was because I was you know an MJ guy so every yeah. day every every morning would, was spent watching uh sports center reading the newspaper looking at the box scores reading about yep. the games a and then when this happened I mean for 3 weeks for almost a month it was like oh my god where is Michael Jordan's dad is he dead? Uh, are they going to mm -hmm. find him? Did he just, you know, it, it was tragic. And then when it was officially announced, I, you know, I just being a selfish little 10 year old, I was like, I don't want him to leave basketball. Even back then yeah. I had a feeling that this, I mean, I couldn't even imagine losing my dad at 10 years old, let alone being the most, the most famous person on earth. And so even back then, I remember thinking to myself, like, oh, man, I really hope this doesn't mean that he's going to stop playing basketball. It was super weird. And I kept thinking, too, like, I couldn't even, you mentioned, like, not being able to fathom losing your father in that way at that time. But then also having to do that while all these rumors and speculation are swirling. Like, once the story came out that, you know, the car was robbed and, two 18 year olds were charged for the murder, but like there's so much speculation and rumors going around in the media, basically blaming you for it. Like I couldn't fathom what that could be like. And I thought it was, you know, it, it told a lot when Ahmad told the story about, you know, going to meet him for the funeral and he couldn't even like tie up his tie. Yeah. 
right? Like Amada to help him fix his tie. Like it was just so, it was such a weird time. And, and, you know, going, I was just kept trying to think back. What do I remember from that? And it was cool in that sense, as the doc has done the whole way through, doing a good job of setting the scene, painting the picture for you in terms of what the climate was at the time. Well, uh, so you were going to say something. Though, yeah. Sorry. Well, the funny part, well, not the funny part, but the very like fascinating part about this documentary is the way that it's linked to the OJ Simpson documentary. Right. Mm-hmm. And this story of Michael Jordan's missing dad and ultimately his murder uh, mm-hmm. and the way that the media and the public reacted to it by trying to dig down deeper to see there, oh, there must have been more nefarious things going on. What was really behind all this is like almost a perfect lead in to what ended up happening with the OJ Simpson uh, chase and the trial in yeah. the way that the media covered it, a black athlete, um, somebody who was super, super famous and really the face of their sport for a long, long time. It was like yeah. this was the uh, appetizer. This tragic story was the appetizer to what ended up being another tragic story with OJ. And that's what I remember thinking um, watching this documentary about this part of his life was just the kind of parallels and the way mm. that – uh, you know, 94 leads into 90. I mean, because then the OJ chase would have been maybe what a couple 95? of 95, a couple of, no, I think it was the chase was 94. So oh, yeah, he was, trial, yeah. he was playing baseball then. So he, about a year later, right. That he had, yeah. uh, that all this had happened. And it just seemed like, those two events are so interconnected in my mind. And then this documentary kind of reinforced that as well. Yeah. I mean, it, it's so crazy to think about just like, you know, how messed up that moment in time was. And, and you're totally right. You know, all these things going on around the same time and the profile, the high profile that's going on with both things. But, you know, obviously it's, it's a crazy and a sad situation and with all this, it leads to the decision that Michael Jordan makes that he's going to retire from basketball. And obviously, there's so much speculation and they touch on it in the doc, which I was kind of surprised that they did, to be honest. Like we, when we talked about this doc, you know, I always said I wasn't sure I want to hear them seriously talk about these things. And I wasn't sure they were going to. And they at least made the people involved answer for it yeah do you know what i mean like mj had to give an answer stern had to give an answer i thought that was that was good enough for me but i mean you know seeing it now and hearing the conspiracy theories i mean i can say that i don't think that anything fishy was really going on also just because i'll say this the biggest reason i'll I'll always say that is i just don't believe that you could keep that under wraps that michael jordan would have gotten suspended in some so, secret suspension, and they would have kept it quiet, and nobody so, would know, and it never would have gotten out. That I, just seems I, weird. To I me. I agree with you in terms of like uh, I don't think that there was anything that nefarious behind it. However, I think that based on the time that this all happened, that you could have covered it up. I mean, we still really don't know exactly who killed JFK. 
And before the days of social media, like infiltrating our lives and especially the sporting world, uh, like mm-hmm. y- you definitely would not be able to get away with anything like that today. But in the early mid nineties, for sure, you probably could. Now, that being said, is Stern going to suspend his meal ticket for a year and a half? Probably not. Right. Uh, also, Stern's a businessman. Isn't it strange that he was suspended for 18 months? Like, what is that? Like, if you were going to suspend him, wouldn't it just be for a year or two years? Like, the 18 yeah. months thing didn't really make sense to me. But honestly, it's the why would the NBA ever get rid of the guy who is the face of the league and the number one moneymaker for the league? Yeah, Stern is a businessman above all. And to, like, get rid of MJ at the peak of his powers, regardless of what's going on, Does it make sense? But also, you know, they do such a good job of painting the narrative and setting the scene for him being burnt out. Like, that actually makes sense. If you think about, you know, the run that MJ's had from, what, 89? They made the conference finals and lost to the Pistons? No, 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 but I'm just saying, like, having deep But even earlier than that, he was... Right. They're having runs, but I'm saying, like, getting to to the conference finals at least, right? So you're going from then all the way through to that 93 season, add in an Olympics in the off season. And it's just like, you know, you could understand a dude being burnt out and also feeling like he's accomplished, like what more was left. Right. And, and I think the writer who uh, told the story about speaking with Mike at the Olympics and saying that at that point, Mike already told him what his plan was that he just really wanted to get through finishing the Olympics winning the third title, with which neither Magic or Larry did, but he wanted to achieve those two things, and then he was going to shock the world and quit basketball to play baseball. Like, that's before his dad died, before the Olympics, all that. So it's just super interesting that all these things were there, and I think it kind of makes sense, when he, especially when you add in the relationship he had with his dad and how tough it was for him when he comes back now when he realizes, oh, this is going to be my first NBA basketball game without my dad watching. Do you know what I mean? Like with all that and you think about it and put it back in that moment, you can understand why he would be like, I don't have a reason to play basketball right now. Like that kind of makes sense, no? Yeah, absolutely. Like that's the thing is that while I – you you said – and the thing that you sent me is like, do you think there was anything fishy about the retirement? I'm sure there was probably something out there um, mm-hmm. that maybe he wasn't as forthcoming about, whether it was back then or in this documentary about why. Because, yeah. but that being said, like he had made like you, the writer said, like he this didn't come out of nowhere to a lot of people, right? Like, yeah. And the we talked about it, I think, the last episodes as well is, like, the reverence that Jordan had for Larry and Magic, right? So yeah. getting that three-peat was huge to him. Being the guy on the Dream Team, huge to him. What else do you have to prove? He's basically a shut-in when he's not playing now. He's the most famous person on earth. And I think that we're going to get into, you know, the, the life of a double-A baseball player. But I think that mm-hmm. that had some real draw to him uh, to not be sure. the the guy. Uh, now, again, like he kind of ends up being a magnet for press coverage. But like I'm sure that riding the bus definitely appealed to him. 
Yeah, I think too, you know, the one thing I kept thinking of was, can you imagine that happening now in like the Twitter era? Just that whole story, like the the most famous athlete in the world wins an NBA championship, their father gets murdered, and then they retire and then decide to play another sport. Like imagine that in the Twitter era, like that would just be absolutely insane. Like I can't even fathom any of that. Um no, but it, would that be, said, it, it would be crazy. <laughs> right. It'd be so stupid. But with that said, the other thing that it does a good job in, in telling the story of MJ saying his last conversation he had with his dad was that he was going to go play baseball. And his dad told him to go do it. And so you kind of understand where that decision comes from. Um, the one thing I was going to sell you, though, that I totally forgot about was the Jays White Sox playoff game that MJ threw out the first pitch and then is in the box and word yeah. starts to trickle out that he's going to retire. Like I totally forgot about that. That part I did not remember at all. And I would assume I'd be watching that game as a kid. A hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even for sure, like being mm-hmm. 10, 11 and the second run of the Jays playoffs, for sure. Not only that, but yeah. they're playing the White Sox, a team that I also like because they had Frank Thomas as well, right? So, yeah. like, yeah, yeah, definitely yeah. tuning into that. But that's uh, that's the moment um, that I could relate, relate to with this um, social media age that we live in now. That kind of murmur going around, and then all of a sudden everybody kind of knows something is going on. <laughs> that kind of reminded me of the uh, Osama bin Laden is dead um, game. Oh, I I, it was a Mets-Phillies game, and it was the same mm-hmm. kind of thing. It was like, oh, there's something going on. People are kind of getting like, oh, uh, you know, the president's going to make an announcement in a couple of minutes, uh, like an hour. And then mm-hmm. throughout the stadium, you could f- see people getting it on their phone, the information. And then finally, like everybody chanting USA. Now, obviously, there's no Twitter going on in 94 or 95 or whatever, but uh, but the fact that this gets out and it's kind of like you see all the people in the box and then the yeah. press trying to get into the private box and them escaping, man, that was, it, that was something that I could relate to nowadays, right? Yeah, it was just cool to see like Pat O'Brien like having to, you know, give an update in the middle of the game just announcing what was going to happen. Like, that's just so crazy. Um, MJ goes to play baseball. And I'm guessing you've seen... And Terry Francona is his manager, which is the craziest... That was the craziest thing to me when I was watching this. Yeah. And, I I mean, it's it's crazy on so many levels. And the doc, uh, MJ... Is it Michael rides a bus or MJ rides a bus? What was the... Yeah, I think it was uh, Michael rides the bus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was. I think it was Michael rides the bus, but I could be wrong. It's a pretty good thirty for thirty on it, which Mike isn't actually in. And I remember the story behind it, and I kind of wish he wasn't. Like it was a really good doc, period. But um, Mike being in it obviously would have been so much more incredible. But the reason he wasn't in it was because if you remember back. It was right around the time when he did his Hall of Fame speech and everyone kind of, right. you know, he was getting crushed for his, his speech because he was like, people said he still seemed bitter, uh, the crying Jordan meme, all that stuff. And so he decided he wasn't going to be in the dock, which, you know, again, still a good watch for anybody. But in terms of what they had in this dock, 
couple things here. First off, I didn't know about the, or I didn't remember the crazy hitting streak he had to start his, his double A career. <laughs> right. Like that's insane. 13 game hitting streak. He does to start his career in double A. And also just the fact that the only reason I, I thought Reinsdorf did such a good job in painting the picture of, Hey, when someone just starts playing baseball, they go to rookie ball or single A. Mm-hmm. And the only reason they put him in double A was because double A had the facilities to account for all the media that would show up to cover Mike. <laughs> like I thought that was incredible. Like that's just so random, but what was, what did you take away from just seeing the whole baseball portion of this? Like what things stuck out to you the most? The the thing that stuck out to me most about the baseball was that he, Jordan brought the same intensity of preparation and work ethic to this sport as he did with ba- with basketball. Uh, yeah. You know, there's the story of him taking uh, batting practice in the morning, uh, then before the game, and then sticking around after the game is done to take more batting practice. But even with all of that preparation, all of that work ethic, baseball is a different beast than basketball. I mean, obviously, they're different sports, but you could practice all the time, but if you don't have the eye uh, and you can hit the curveball, which we found out that MJ was having a very tough time doing, um, yeah. it doesn't matter how many how many cuts you take in the cage. If you can't hit the curveball, you're not going to make the majors. Yeah, so he, he went, he hit, what, 202, drove in 50 runs, and Francona says that he thinks if he had 1,500 at-bats, he could have made it to the big leagues. And I think, well, I forget what the number was, but I think in, uh, what's it called? What's the fall league? I think he hit like 260 yeah. or something like that in the fall league. So a couple of it's super interesting. Too, right? Well, it just makes you wonder, right? What would have happened if the strike didn't happen in the MLB that year? Because, you know, to start the year, there was a strike and they wanted to have the replacement players, which was obviously a ridiculous yeah. plan. But they wanted MJ to cross the picket line. And he's like, no, of course I'm not doing that. Right. Like, so Hell ridiculous no. that you would think Michael Jordan, like, another dude, professional don't you know that player. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, right? like, in another union. A, yeah. And he's going to cross. Like, that just made no sense that you would think that he would do that. But, anyways, it makes you wonder what would have happened if uh, there was no strike that year and if he would have continued playing baseball. But as we know, there was a strike and that kind of led him to kind of wonder, you know, kind of brought him back to, to see if he wanted to play basketball. But before we get back to the basketball, a couple things here, I thought that, you know, I thought it would have been crazy to, to see Michael Jordan play in the big leagues. Like, I just think that storyline that was already kind of insane would have just been even more insane. And the thing that I found weird was him being so mad at the media. Like, I didn't get why the media would be rooting for him to fail. And that's kind of, and I know that this is, you know, there's a argument going on now about the doc and if it's an actual documentary and if this is journalism or just MJ spin on everything. But with that said, I don't get why, you know, people would be kind of almost applauding him failing at baseball. Like, I don't get why that would be a narrative. But it appeared to be, right? Like, SI was super mad. Not super mad. I shouldn't say that. But they crushed him on the cover once. And then, because of that, MJ never spoke to Sports Illustrated ever again, which I think is incredible. Yeah. But 
Do you think he could have made it to the bigs? No, I don't think he, well, no, 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 no. Let me, let me rephrase that. Yeah, I do think he would have made it to the big leagues because Jerry Reinsdorf, who owned the White Sox as well, is no dummy when it become when it comes to being a businessman. And mm-hmm. by putting Michael Jordan on a big league roster, you're going to get people who are, are clamoring to come and see him play. Yeah. Now, oh, yeah. do I think he would have had like success in the major leagues? No way. Like okay. it's a di- like I say, man, it's a different beast and. Jordan, for all the skills that he had in playing basketball, um, it's just so like it would be in it would be, like you say it would be insane, like it would be the <laughs> even a bigger story than Michael Jordan was uh, originally if he had made it to the major leagues. Now I remember I used to get Sports Illustrated all the time, like well my dad did, and then I would read them. And I remember one issue. I think it might have been before the baseball thing was official was, like, a picture, like, they had superimposed Jordan into all these other sports. So, like, there's a picture of him playing hockey as a member of the Blackhawks. There's a picture of him as a wide receiver for the Bears. And then, and I was like, oh, my God. And so I went to my dad. I was like, Dad, is Michael Jordan going to be playing hockey? And he was like, (laughs) no. He's like, no, these are fake pictures that they just did for the magazine. I was like, holy crap. But... As a 11-year-old, I was totally convinced that Jordan, yeah, oh, my God, he could definitely play hockey, and he could definitely play football. I mean, if Deion Sanders can play football and baseball, why can't the best athlete of all time play all four professional sports? Yeah, it, it was cool to think about it from the aspect of, you know, I don't think people realize how hard it would be to hit 200 in double A after not playing baseball for 14 years, like that is a crazy accomplishment on its own. Right. (laughs) Right. It's insane. He he was like an old, like he was like 31. It's not (laughs) like he was like a young dude who had just stopped playing baseball. Yeah. Like it, it makes no sense. Right. So you stop playing baseball for 14 years and then you're hitting 200 in double a baseball with like, and double A is where your top prospects are, right? For people who aren't familiar with how baseball farm systems work, your top prospects are always in double A. And so it's just weird to think of it from that aspect. But also with what you just said, how much further he actually had to go to, you know, get to the Michael Jordan status of baseball, which I don't think was realistic, but even just to be, you know, a really good major leaguer would have taken so much more. And you heard Grover talk about, you know, how they had to rebuild his body because the body of a baseball player is completely different than the body of a basketball player. And all of those things you get to work on. It was just really interesting and captivating, but one of the best, like, what ifs, you know, what if there was no baseball strike? But Let's keep things going and move on here because there's so much going on in this episode. And, you know, the next kind of big thing is MJ the competitor. And we got a great montage of MJ just ripping into teammates, most notably Scotty Burrell. Oh, as Scott you mentioned Burrell earlier. was. Wow. Make, there were some. Make that free some, throw, ho. <laughs> right. Oh, man, I just love it. And it was so good. And, you know, the beauty of all this MJ talking trash that we have to remember is that it's not in the era of right now when guys understand how the media works. What I mean by that is guys nowadays know 
that something's going to go viral or this is going to end up on first take or this is going to end up this is going to be a talking point on sports center like guys kind of know how the 2020 sports news cycle works then the videos that we're seeing like that's just mj yeah <laughs> right like that to me is incredible and him the thing i thought about as he crushes scott burrell is okay scott burrell's obviously his boy and is in this dock but you know there's other teammates that clearly weren't along this for this ride and did not think too highly of mj we're just not hearing from them right I mean, absolutely. There must have been other guys on that team who um, maybe didn't necessarily take to that style of leadership the way that a guy like Scott Burrell or even Steve Kerr ends up going through. Like, there's there's got to be other guys that they had must have shipped out after this kind of experiment went wrong. Yeah. I mean, MJ just talking about how he likes Scott Burrell, he's a really good guy, and he literally tried to get him to fight him a couple <laughs> <Yeah>. times. <laughs> it's like, that is incredible. Uh, do you think MJ was a good teammate? Of course he was a good teammate. Like, he, look at some of the teams that he dragged to the, to the championship. <laughs> like, are you yeah. kidding me? Of course he was a good teammate. The best teammate. And honestly, if you have somebody with that much talent who is that invested in you that he's going to make your life a living hell or uh, rag on you every day to try and make you better or get in your ass like that to try and make you better, isn't that a way better teammate than a guy who has all that talent who completely leaves you alone and doesn't talk to you and just does his thing? Yo, my dude, I totally agree with you. And, and uh, longtime listeners to whether it's Wrap It Up or whatever on this On Blast podcast know one of the things we we live by for sure is there's levels to this shit, right? And the, the next level above being a good teammate is being a leader. And I think that's more important. And I think that's what MJ was, you know, leading by example. Because, again, if they didn't win, if he didn't have the results then none of this works, and he is just an asshole. But as Will Perdue said, you know, he was an asshole, he was a jerk, but he won. <laughs> so, and Scotty backs that up and says, you know, they needed that. You could tell Scotty, it's very interesting what Scotty would have been without Mike, because of course we know Mike needed Scotty, but we know that Mike's kind of beast mode mentality really really helped scotty pippen's career a lot no and just being that guy to like stay on him and be hard on him in practice and have those tough practices when we're in an nba now where first off they don't even really practice anymore right, right. like it's so hard to fathom just the differences between now and then but also to paint the picture especially if you never really played any sports at all to know what you know i've always said this and i know it sounds weird I don't even care what you do. If you win and you put in work, that's all that matters to me, right? Like we, we can, we can figure everything else out. I can get over it. If you're an asshole, if you're a jerk, like, I don't care. Do you put in work? All right, cool. I'm with you. I'm with you. If you're a leader and you know what you're talking about and you know what you're doing, I can rock with that. No problem. But it's a dudes who are, you know, Michael Jordan could get away with that. You know, J.R. Smith can't. You know, Dion Waiters can't. Right. <laughs> Do you, you know what I'm saying? And right. I don't mean to knock those guys. I'm just making the point that there's levels to it, right? Two things. First mm -hmm. is all of that ragging on them and all of that leadership stuff that 
uh, MJ did with Burrell ended up paying off because didn't he score like 29 in a playoff game? Yeah, there's they show it later on. I think it's in episode eight against the Nets. I think it is. Burrell has a big game, and you you make a great point there, man. It's so true. He was always, and even with the fight with Steve Kerr, MJ's point was, if you can't handle this in practice, right, how are you going to yeah. handle stuff in the playoffs? And that makes so much sense. And it's, it's so true, right? If you can't handle those moments then with no one, what are you going to do when the lights come on? And he had right. to know that he was able to trust you. And maybe that leads us into the Steve Kerr thing because this was said to be the moment where MJ gained more respect for Steve Kerr. And we've always heard stories about this fight, <laughs> but I don't think we ever got like the full on play by play in terms of, you know, Phil getting Kerr to guard Mike and Mike's just killing him. But then he starts calling, Phil starts calling like cheap fouls yeah. to help Kerr out. And then Mike on purpose, hard fouls, Steve Kerr, <laughs> Kerr pushes Mike in the chest and then MJ decks him. And first off, Imagine this in the in this Twitter era. <laughs> like, how incredible is that? What did you think of this whole back and forth with Steve Kerr and, and Michael Jordan? Well, Hearing I'm, them explain it. I'm surprised we haven't gotten something like this coming out in the Twitter era in the NBA. But like you say, the guys barely practice anymore, let alone run these scrimmages where like there's going to be hard fouls, right? Now, True. the thing is with, with MJ and Steve Kerr, like at that point, uh, I think Steve Kerr is like, after I stood up for uh, for myself, um, after I stood up for myself, uh, like MJ knew that I was going to do that, right? So they were cool afterwards. Now the other thing is is like in that I think that Steve Kerr proved to MJ that he cared. Yeah. You know, like yeah. he he wasn't just in it to coast along to titles. He wasn't just in it to carry MJ's jock around. He was in it because he wanted to be there. He felt like he was one of the cogs on the best team in history, and he cared. And I think that yeah. it, as soon as you showed that to MJ, you were all good. He wasn't going to call you a hoe when you were shooting free throws <laughs> like Scott Burrell did, right? Like, I'm sure that yeah. Jordan would have kept doing that to Scott Burrell until he stood up for him. And MJ has that line like, oh, I was going to get him to punch me and start a fight, but in a good way. And I think that <laughs> in a good way was what happened with Kerr and MJ. Yeah, it's it's interesting because there's a couple things here, right, where, you know, MJ hard fouls Kerr and Kerr pushes him in the chest. And it kind of reminded me of the Batista Rugnet Ordur yeah. scuffle just in terms of I always say Bomani described this the, the best way Bomani Jones for those who might not know who that is dude on ESPN but he said uh, Batista was getting ready whereas Odor stays ready <laughs> and it's kind of like when you punch when you push a guy in the chest like you don't really want to fight do you know what I mean like you're, you're kind of hoping that you push and then everyone kind of breaks it hold up. me back Right. And MJ, the other funny part about it was MJ said one of the reasons he apologized to was he felt bad because Kurt, he punched out the smallest dude on the court right. and he felt like 
he said he felt like super small himself. He felt like a loser because he punched out the smallest guy on the court. But also, he had to get Kerr's number, <laughs> which I kind of found funny because I was just like, wouldn't you just have all your teammates' phone numbers? No, man. Like, no? not back in the day, right? Like, <laughs> shit. It was only We're taking it for many, granted now. However many, like, phones fit in your speed dial, which was like eight. And then, like... <laughs> If you were writing them down in your little black book, but of course those are going to be saved for more important numbers than your teammates. It's not like today where you can just throw in, you know, thousands of contacts and like have Steve, Steve Kerr at the drop. So that I was like, yeah, I'm sure you'd have to like talk to the assistant to the traveling secretary to try and get Steve Kerr's number. So who do you think? I bet a bunch of people probably had Kerr's number, but how many guys do you think had MJ's phone number? Oh, it's like three, right? It's it's <laughs> Phil, it's Scotty, and uh, well, Scott Burrell. Scott, yeah, gotta Scott, be, Scott, Scott Burrell's got to have his number, no? I don't know if Scott Burrell would have his number. You can't just be calling uh, me a hoe and like you can't even you can't even <laughs> give me a phone call every once in a while. <laughs> called him hoe a couple of times in the episode. <laughs> oh man, it is so good, so good. Um, now the other, other thing little, is. One more thing about Scott Burrell was that, do you know that he was drafted by the Toronto Blue Jays? No, I did not yeah. know that. Here's the thing about Scott Burrell, a much better baseball player than Michael Jordan. But do you think he said that to MJ ever? Hell no! <laughs> what, do you think he's crazy? <laughs> the MJ shit-talking, man, is so cool. And one of the best images of this whole thing was... The shot of, I guess it's from the Peyton series, the Sonics yeah. finals. Was that it? No, I think it was. No, no, no. It's from that season, but it's from after they struggled in, I guess, one of the opening rounds. Against the MJ Nets. is was sitting. They, had the... they went to OT or something like that. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, Do you know yeah. what it was? It was a BJ Armstrong game. It was a BJ Armstrong oh, okay. game. Okay. So it's after BJ Armstrong wins that game, but then the next day they're showing them in the locker room. And MJ's there with a cigar. And this is pre-game. My guy is smoking a cigar, has a baseball bat, and yeah. he's just sitting there like so gangster-like. And it's just, you're, you're watching that thinking, he's the fucking man. No. Like he, he doesn't seem worried. He doesn't seem phased at all. He's not worried. But then he gives another gangster quote where he says, he's talking about trash talking and how easy it is, you know, at certain points, to trash talk compared to other points. He says, quote, that's a sign of a good man if he can talk shit when the score's even or talk shit when you're behind score. Yeah. When you're yeah. ahead, it's easy to talk. <laughs> I mean, chalk another one up. That's another Instagram caption. No? Well, the other one is like you said about the Drake lines, the, the, the image that everybody I've seen on Instagram now all since this episode was uh, was the um, him with the bat and the cigar in the locker room? Everybody put so that. Good. Everybody put that up on their story immediately. So good, so good. Um, what were we talking about here? We were after Steve Kerr, uh, the Bulls. So the, it kind of keeps bouncing back and forth. We get mm -hmm. the Bulls without Mike and how that went. But really, that's all setting up. I'd say one of the most infamous moments of Scottie Pippen's career. Uh, yeah, and this was I had this was the part that I had forgotten about. 
So I remembered it, but again, it was the details because it was one of those things where it's like, oh yeah, I do remember Scotty refusing to go in, but I honestly didn't remember if Kukoc hit the shot or not. So like watching it, I was like, oh shit, Scotty, and he hit the shot. Yeah. Like you're a chump. Like that's well, the part I forgot. Not only that, but they showed all the times that season and the season before of Kukoc hitting that shot. And I know that this yeah. is going to sound completely blasphemous. But, man, did that shot ever look like Dirk Nowitzki. Like, that's no, 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 a Dirk shot. That is a Dirk shot right there. The other thing, too, like, with 1.8 seconds left on the clock, that ball has to just go to, like, a crazy clutch shooter. And I don't know if that's Scotty. You know what I mean? Like, it's the right call that Phil made. And I'm not playing the hindsight game, but as you said... They showed all these other moments of Kukoc hitting last-second shots throughout the season. And if you're Scotty, I mean, maybe if you're mad that you're inbounding the ball instead of maybe being on the court and being a decoy, but that doesn't even seem to be why he was mad. Like, he wanted the ball in that moment. But either way, like, to me, that's an ultimate bitch move by Scotty. Well, and I don't think that you could ever live that down without from your teammates. Like, they might say that they forgive you, but they definitely will never forget that. Well, no, and not only that, but like we got a whole like montage of how happy the team was that when mm-hmm. Scotty was the leader, you know, like, oh, everybody's getting yeah. their shots, everybody's passing the ball around, we're really making use of the triangle offense, we're sharing the ball. But then when it comes down to it, it's like that selfishness, it rises up, right? Well, you, you, you get a glimpse into, you know, maybe there's something underlying there where Scotty was never actually ever um, good with how much credit he didn't get or maybe how much credit he got in comparison to Mike. Do you know what I mean? Like maybe that was one of those underlying things where he's thinking, hey, maybe this can be my, you know, shot over Elo. And instead you're giving the ball to Kukoc. Right. Do you know, like, well, now it's and- tough, but. That's a terrible play. And shouts to Bill Cartwright. Yes. OG leader on the squad. Like, I thought that was awesome. And him apologizing, even Scotty crying and apologizing in the moments, like, nah, that's not... Like, I get it, and I understand it, but again, I would never forget that. And you could tell even MJ. MJ calling Phil and being like, yeah, Scotty's never going to be able to live that down. You could tell here that MJ kind of... You could tell there's an interesting real dynamic between MJ and Scotty, no? Well, you're right. But then the other thing is, too, that this seems to be the culmination of a lot of, like, we've talked about this Scotty being kind of a bitch, like, <laughs> uh, over the first couple of episodes, right? There's a, the yeah. migraine thing, and we're just kind of questioning yeah. it. And it seems like this is the part where, um, like, it came to a head, right? And so the yeah. teammates had to say listen scott you can't be doing this anymore you you're quitting on us you know with no mj here and then it seems like from this point on now i might be forgetting something over the next couple episodes but after this scotty was in line yeah i mean it's it's super interesting just mj comes back obviously and the totem pole or the pecking order is back but then you still get you know all the the uh scotty complaining about his contract which I was looking at something today and it popped up on my uh, 
on one of the YouTube wormholes you end up in. Yeah. And it was just like this video about all of Scotty's kids. Like I didn't realize Scotty has like seven kids and a bunch of different baby mamas that were going on during the nineties. Right. And I'm like, Oh, maybe that's why he really needed to (laughs) change up his contract during the nineties. Like, ah, okay. That makes a lot of sense. (laughs) Cool. Um, but beyond that, you're right. It's just, how could you look your teammates in the eyes? Like those guys that look to you as the leader. And we were just talking about it, right? The levels to it in terms of being a great teammate and a great, you know, player and then being a leader and that you can't be a leader after that. Like you quit on the team in the biggest moment, like inbound the ball, then maybe get mad about it afterwards. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. And do make it, your, make your point made. Do it behind closed doors. Do it privately with the coach and the GM. Don't have a hissy fit uh, at the end of a playoff game. That's a one possession where you need to score, right? But a hissy fit, and then even just to say, to say I'm not playing. No. <laughs> and Phil was like, "Wait, what? <laughs> what yeah. do you mean he's not going in? Like that's in- and if you remember, remember this happened with LeBron, where David Blatt drew up a last second play." Shouts to David Blatt, by the way. Shouts to David Blatt, who made it to an NBA Finals. He drew up a a last-second play against the Bulls, but he drew it up so LeBron was inbounding the ball. Yeah. Remember that? And LeBron, obviously, because he's LeBron, told the media about it afterwards and said, nah, fuck that. Like, I'm getting the ball and hit the game-winning shot. Yeah, no, no, no. And I just saw the clip of this the other day, right? Blatt drew it up, and then they went out there and – LeBron was just like, no, guys, this is what we're doing. You're getting me the ball. <laughs> oh, and I know it's different. It's David Blatt. It's it's Scotty, not LeBron. And it's Phil, not David Blatt. So I understand that. I just found it funny. But And also LeBron just blatant. Like, LeBron didn't have to tell that story <laughs> in the postgame either. Did, did David, but we all know what happened to Blatt. Did David Blatt make an NBA Finals and then never coach another NBA game in his career? That is correct. That's, that's insane. I mean, yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, but yeah, chalk that Scotty Pippen scenario under... Man, what would happen if that also oh. happened in 2020? <laughs> oh, my God. I think Skip Bayless's head would explode. Stephen A. would lose his mind. <laughs> right? That would be incredible. There would be some takes, man. Oh, uh, there would be some takes. Uh, so I got a little quick kind of like rapid fire thing here for you, Webby. Because there's this theme here where MJ, you know, uses other people's slights towards him as motivation. <laughs> yeah, I know. This is some MO. greater than others, but it's it's kind of been a theme here. So, we're going to use a couple examples from episodes 7 and 8, mm-hmm. and on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the highest, I'm just going to ask you who how much blame do you think this person deserves in terms of getting MJ mad? Okay? Okay. So, first up, we'll say BJ Armstrong, and we know BJ Armstrong in the first game of the playoffs against his former team, has a great game, hits the dagger shot, and then screams towards the bench, screams at MJ, screams at Scotty, screams at everyone. And then, of course, Mike proceeds to kill him the next game. (laughs) The next game, the next next couple of games. For sure. Uh, How much blame does BJ Armstrong deserve out of 1 to 10 for making MJ mad? I'm going to say an 8. An 8? Okay. I mean, fair enough. It's game one. 
you got to know that, listen, it's not going to be uh, – it's going to be a long series if you're even going to be in it against the the Chicago Bulls. I I understand it's your former team, uh, but it is game one. So even if you do hit that shot, maybe you're allowed to celebrate, but you're right. It seemed like he was getting a little too into it. Uh, yeah. Especially, and he, he's played with he played with Jordan for how long? You know, <laughs> he even says he's like he's he should have known better. He's got to know better. He's got to know better. So I was gonna say <laughs> solid eight. I'd say it's solid eight there. Uh, next up, we go to the '96 Finals, where or before the finals, no, you, and Ahmad Rashad and MJ are out for dinner. Oh, hold on, you're and you don't skip. Over, no, no, no. Don't worry, don't, don't worry. I'm, I'm not. I'm not don't worry. I'm, I'm definitely not skipping it. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. And George Carl sitting at a table across the room, but they walk by afterwards, and George Carl does not say hi to Michael Jordan at dinner. And we know Mike was not happy about this because he thought that was his Carolina guy. You know, they had Carolina connects. And MJ then proceeded to obviously beat the Sonics and win his sixth cha- or his fifth championship at that point. How much blame do you give George Carl on a scale to one to ten for making MJ mad? I'm giving this one a four. Okay. Because there was no active maliciousness on George Carl's part. Listen, it's a busy <laughs> restaurant. Your mind is on the finals. Listen, I'm sure that there were a lot of NBA players, a lot of people who were playing in the finals that night. And what's George Carl supposed to do? You want him to go and kiss the ring? Do you want him to go and pledge fealty to uh, Michael Jordan here? No, he's the coach of the opposing team. Listen, we all want our uh, combatants to... uh, you know, we we hate when people are too chummy chummy when they're supposed to be uh, at you know playing in uh, high stakes uh, NBA Finals games. So I don't really blame George Carl all that much. Now I give him a four because he knew what he was doing. So George Carl's no dummy. He knows that yeah. he was trying to play a little bit of head games with MJ, but he shouldn't. Again, like BJ Armstrong, should have known better. And you know what? Like BJ Armstrong, BJ Armstrong is BJ Armstrong. So this might be like your moment, right? Like you just beat MJ, have your moment, get your shine on. I'm not even mad at you, BJ Armstrong. George Carl in this situation, I saw him on with Scott Van Pelt last night. And he was saying that the reason why he did that was because Brendan Malone, again, first head coach in Raptors history, (laughs) but Brendan Malone was an assistant with the the bad boy Pistons, as we've seen earlier on in the doc. And Brendan Malone at that point was now with the Sonics. And he told George Carl, listen, don't say, don't do anything to Mike. Don't like all Mike does is he's looking for something to just take as a slight and get mad at and turn into motivation. So don't do anything that he could perceive as a slight at all, you know, or he might think you're playing mind games with them. So George Carl thought that was his mentality. Like, I'm not going to do anything because I'm not going to, you know, try to say something to him. And then he takes it the wrong way and then uses that as motivation. The problem is not saying anything. MJ then took that as slight. So <laughs> there's really no winning. Uh, next up, and we got two more here. Okay. But next up, uh, MJ comes back, and first off, I know we didn't touch on it, but the greatest press release ever, just MJ saying, I'm back. <laughs> right, but so good. He comes back in the wise words of Sean Carter. He comes back wearing the 4-5 and aim to play games with you. It's to aim at you. But 
he struggles a little bit in the 45. And after Nick Anderson steals the ball off MJ, (laughs) picks his pocket. And Nick Anderson in the postgame says, well, 45 isn't the same as 23. (laughs) MJ then goes on to obviously just dominate the series. They don't win that series. They don't. But MJ has a pretty solid series in his first, you know, playoffs back after 18 months off playing baseball. But in terms of MJ going to work and being obviously upset to where he comes back the next game wearing 23, (laughs) how much blame does Nick Anderson deserve for making MJ bad? Oh, yeah. Here I'm going to... Here I'm going to put it at the same uh, level as BJ Armstrong. Probably about a probably about an eight here because that you knew <laughs> you knew that as soon as that Nick Anderson said that you know 45 yeah. isn't the same as 23, and then when Jordan walks into the gym the next day wearing the 23, Nick Anderson just started to sweat. Like you know what's on? And also, oh no! You know, what did I do? And you know what? If I'm MJ, here's the thing. Never in your life can you talk trash about me if you're wearing my shoes. Okay? Yeah, that can't be a thing. Right? <laughs> right? Like, Nick Anderson, like, what are, you, what are you doing? And I think it was Horace. Horace was just like, Horace had the, like, funny reaction where he's just like, why would you say anything like that? That's just it. take the dub, take the win, and move on. Now, luckily, they won the series, but obviously we know MJ came back with a vengeance the next year. Mm-hmm. But still, I'm with you, Webby. Nick Anderson, come on, man. What are you doing? No. Um, but then ma- maybe in one of the funniest stories, your man's LeBradford Smith. Oh, man. Who lives kind of in like this weird NBA like oral history, I guess. I don't even know what the term is I'm looking for here. But he lives in this weird NBA world where you know the name, but you might not know where you know the name from. And right. I just loved how David Aldridge was like, Wait, you know the LeBradford Smith story, right? Someone must have told I was you the LeBradford Smith story. I was just going to say, that was the best, like, that's the best kind of setup to any story like that, where somebody's like, oh, wait, 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 you don't know the XYZ story? It's like, oh, now I know that the XYZ story is going to be awesome. So, LeBradford Smith, I'm going to ask you this question, but I'm going to lay it out as it was presented to us, okay, okay. Webby? So... Bradford Smith comes out and he has a game of his life. Drops 37 points on MJ. Meanwhile, MJ struggles in the game, doesn't really have anything going. And after the game, Bradford Smith says to Mike, nice game, Mike. Close quote. The following night, because it happened to be a back-to-back, luckily enough for Bradford Smith, <laughs> MJ says that because Bradford Smith said nice game, Mike, to him, he was going to go out in the first half and score just as many points as LeBradford Smith did in the entire game the night before. So MJ in the first half goes out and gets 36, <laughs> just shy, but I think the point was made. How much blame does LeBradford Smith get for making MJ mad, Webby, on a scale of 1 to 10? Uh, uh, what's less than a 1? A 0? Because it comes out that he never said it. He didn't. He didn't say anything to Mike. Like poor guy. Oh man! And then like yeah, poor LeBradford Smith because that's what you're known for 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 now on in <laughs> forever. And I don't think he ever had like another. I think the stat was he never had like another either twenty point game or twenty five point game even in like the rest of his career. Shit, after just that. absolutely eviscerated. <laughs> 
that's one of those stories where it's like, yo, man, I feel sorry for his kids, <laughs> right? right? Although luckily, luckily your last name's Smith, so like, you know, there's a lot of Smiths out there. But, but if it's, still, like, it's like, wait, your dad's oh, LeBradford Smith? Where do I know oh, that name from? <laughs> your dad was in the NBA? Oh, what would I know him? <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, maybe. So good. So good. Uh, but, yeah, just to close out, a couple things I want to bring up that were just two, a couple other just awesome scenes. We already talked about it before, the Space Jam Dome. How cool was that? Like, uh, oh, if the, there was ever a time to have, like, cell phones to where we could just have crazy footage that would be, like, the, the greatest, most watched YouTube video ever, it would be of those runs, no? Oh, yeah. I mean, between those and the runs for the um, Dream Team scrimmages, it's like, that could yeah. be the documentary right there. You could just show me this from those two like from those two games or those two sessions of ball that would be the best uh, i think you mentioned it earlier but if you listen to simmons and Marcillo, simmons was ta- telling the stories like how because uh they were saying like i wish there were, they would have shown us more viz but simmons said that yeah. he made a call to like he has friends obviously he's friends with the director and he's like i just want to see all the footage like i just want to watch it for myself like we're sitting in quarantine i got nothing to watch like i would watch Two hours of this footage. And dude said, no, that's all the footage there is. We used every last frame in the doc, which makes total sense, right? Because, like, why wouldn't you use more of that just because of how awesome it was? Although seeing Sean Bradley was kind of funny. (laughs) Um, I mean, you got to assume, too, when they were talking about that, because I heard that on the podcast as well, that maybe the NBA, the, or um, who was it? Michael Thompson's brother. Maybe he was Mm -hmm. filming all that stuff. And, you know, some of the other players were like, dude, you can't, you have to stop filming us because MJ is just (laughs) torching us. You know, poor Jawan (laughs) Howard is just getting rained on or something. (laughs) So funny. Uh, The other really cool footage, which we've seen a bunch of, but we never really got the explanation or we never got to hear it was MJ after winning the championship on father's day. And obviously they, they sum it up. They really break it down and explain, (laughs) you know, just how much it meant to him to get back to the, the pinnacle of the game and win it on father's day and how emotional that was for him. Yeah. And to just hear him, you know, bawling on the ground. Like that was just, a super emotional moment, and it was just crazy to see. Uh, but what were you, what were your thoughts when you saw that? Uh, that I'd seen that viz before, but I had never heard it. Like I never heard the audio of that celebration. And yeah. again, between that and MJ giving that like statement uh, of you know I I never put anybody through anything that I didn't want to go through or didn't go through either. Those two were like some very emotional moments. I mean that was that was really great filmmaking to include that with the sound. Yeah, and it, it again it's just another one of those things where you know. People talk about what does it take to win? What does it take to be a champion? And, you know, yes, other people have won NBA championships without being an asshole, right? Or without being a jerk. But they haven't won six championships. Do you know what I mean? Like, and yes, you go back to the Bill Russell days, and we know what Bill Russell went through, like, real life-wise in Boston, right? And, like, it's a different era and all that stuff, right? But, 
you're talking about four dudes. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like really like the amount of people that we're talking about in terms of that elite level of winning it's a small handful of guys and you know to see that and to obviously know to have everything kind of come full circle where he loses his dad he doesn't think he can play basketball again without his dad but his dad's last conversation with him is about playing baseball he goes and gives that a try comes back gets his ass kind of handed to him by the magic you know and then like has a huge workout in the offseason mm-hmm. to come back with the vengeance and come back and win it was just, you know, it was super fitting. It was super fitting. But yeah, it's a it's a championship that's like three years in the making. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, and just so that we don't end this pod on, you know, such more of a somber note, uh, I wanted to leave the maybe one of the funniest clips as MJ continues to be the meme god during this um, <laughs> during this doc, but. <laughs> We get the clips of Gary Payton explaining how mad he was that George Carl wouldn't let him guard Mike until until they were already down 3 nothing in the series. But Gary Payton is talking about how he felt he was doing such a good job in guarding Mike. And he's going on and on talking about the you know how he was essentially locking Mike down. And then the camera cuts and you see Mike watching the clips of Gary Payton talking about locking Mike down. <laughs> And Mike just starts laughing and it is that meme is going to be used forever now. No, like it's just so good. It was so funny. Yeah, that's the new, and I kind of feel bad for Gary Payton. No, it's the new laughing Michael Jordan meme. It used to be the one of him on Oprah. Right. And now you can use that one of him looking at the looking at the iPad. Oh, so good. It was it was incredible. Uh, but one of the things that Rashad tweeted last night he said, uh, MJ told me that Gary Payton asked him for his shoes after game one, and that's when he knew he had him. <laughs> yeah. So with with that context, doesn't that kind of lead you more as to why MJ was laughing? Right? And that's yeah. just something Amad Rashad tweeted. He didn't say that in the doc. MJ didn't Listen, say that in the uh, doc. I was going to say, Bob Costas put that series pretty succinctly when he said, this is the most... Uh, uneven mismatch in NBA finals history. It wouldn't matter if you had the glove or the gauntlet or whatever you want to call Gary Payton. They were not going to lose. They were not going to lose to the Seattle Supersonics. (laughs) It's just so good. They just weren't such, such great storytelling. Again, as we wrap up episode seven and eight is so good by far. I won't even want to say by far because I thought the other episodes were still really good. And it's a good sign when you can have a 10 part series. And after watching eight, you're saying that it's still getting better and better. Like that's an incredible feat. Uh, so it's been really good so far. I've super enjoyed it. Webby and I've enjoyed these conversations with you as well, my dude. Uh, but if the people wanted to hit you up, where can they find you online? Oh, very easy on both uh, Twitter and Instagram. It's the same, at AWebster84. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Shell Alexander, on Instagram at Sheldon Alexander. And of course, again, thanks to all the people that are rocking with us on the On Blast podcast, whether you're on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube. Continue to like and subscribe and rate us and rank us and all that fun stuff because... 
you know, we appreciate it. We appreciate hearing from you guys and guys and gals and, you know, ball fans of all levels. Yeah. Don't forget how that. you're enjoying this this doc. I was talking to one of my friends the other day and she was saying like she loves it. Like she was talking about how much she was enjoying it and it's like so much fun to just see like him tell the stories and how like competitive he is. It's just been such an amazing ride, Webby. I, I've enjoyed it so much, man. And I mean, I can't wait to see how it's going to end in episodes nine and ten coming up this week. I can't wait to see that. I, I think we, uh, I think we're going to see a little bit of Reggie Miller and uh, <laughs> and Carl Malone over these next two episodes. Ooh, can't wait! Can't wait to see that for sure. That's going to be a lot of fun, and can't wait to reconvene again one last time to talk to you about the Last Dance. See what I, I did know. there? One last time to talk about the Last what are, Dance. I didn't even. What are that we going to do? Straight off the dome, by the way. What are we going to do once this documentary is over? We're gonna have to like go back to just watching normal TV and finding stuff that way to watch. Oh, I guess man. I don't know. It's wild. Because like, this has been the only sports for me. Like, I don't care enough about the UFC to yeah. care about the UFC during a pandemic, so I don't care about that. And I definitely yeah. don't care about the Korean baseball league or the Bundesliga. So y'all gotta keep trying with that to make me care about <laughs> sports that are coming back like i don't care about any of that so we'll we'll figure some stuff out for sure we always do here on the on blast podcast right webby absolutely brother <laughs> as always like i always say i used to pray for times like this to rhyme like this this is the on blast podcast as always unpolished and unapologetic until next time see ya peace on blast